0: Psalm 35. Contend, Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take up shield and armor, arise and come to my aid. Brandish spear and javelin against those who pursue me. Say to me, I am your salvation. May those who seek my life be disgraced and put to shame. May those who plot my ruin be turned back in dismay. May they be cut like chaff before the wind, with the angel of the Lord driving them away. May their path be dark and slippery, with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. Since they hid their net for me without cause, and without cause dug a pit for me, may ruin overtake them by surprise. May the net they hid entangle them. May they fall into their pit to their ruin. Then my soul will rejoice in the Lord and delight in his salvation. My whole being will exclaim, Who is like you, Lord? You rescue the poor from those too strong for them, the poor and needy from those who rob them. Ruthless witnesses come forward. They question me on things I know nothing about. They repay me evil for good and leave me like one bereaved. Yet when they were ill, I put on sackcloth and humbled myself with fasting. When my prayers returned to me unanswered, I went about mourning as though for my friend or brother. I bowed my head in grief as though weeping for my mother. But when I stumbled, they gathered in glee. Assailants gathered around me without my knowledge. They slandered me without ceasing. Like the ungodly, they maliciously mocked. They gnashed their teeth at me. How long, Lord, will you look on? Rescue me from their ravages, my precious life from these lions. I will give you thanks in the great assembly. Among the throngs, I will praise you. Do not not let those gloat over me who are my enemies without cause. Do not let them who hate me without reason maliciously wink the eye. They do not speak peaceably, but devise false accusations against those who live quietly in the land. They sneer at me and say, Aha! Aha! With our own eyes we have seen it. Lord, you have seen this. Do not be silent. Do not be far from me, Lord. Awake and rise to my defence. Contend for me, my God and Lord. Vindicate me in your righteousness, Lord my God. Do not let them gloat over me. Do not let them think, Aha! Just what we wanted, or say, We have swallowed him up. May all who gloat over my distress be put to shame and confusion May all who exalt themselves over me be clothed with shame and disgrace. May those who delight in my vindication shout for joy and gladness. May they always say, the Lord be exalted, who delights in the well-being of his servant. My tongue will proclaim your righteousness, your praises all day long.
1: Well, thanks, Chloe, for reading Psalm 35 to us. One of the psalms that leads us into John's Gospel. That's quoted in John's Gospel, the series that we're going to begin in two Sundays time here at Creek Road. John's Gospel we see recorded there Jesus quoting this psalm, the psalm Chloe read for a psalm 35. And in the area of John's gospel where Jesus quotes this psalm, he says these famous words which you may have heard before. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another, Jesus says. You notice Jesus says you're not marked out as his follower by how well you can quote the Bible, as good as it is to be able to quote Bible verses, or how often you attend church, as important as attending church is. Nor are you marked out as, as his follower by how good you are at keeping the law, or how closely your family might resemble the ideal Christian family. No, says Jesus, you're marked out as, as his follower in this way. He says, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus says it's a life of love shaped by his love that marks you out really as being his follower. This is Corrie Ten Boom. Ten Boom family came from Holland. And during World War II, the Ten Boom family loved Jewish people who were on the run who were fleeing from the Nazis who were rounding them up and putting them in concentration camps and then murdering them. The Ten Boom family would hide these fleeing Jews in their own house. They continued to do it until the day they were caught by the Gestapo, by the Nazis. And Corrie Ten Boom and her sister Betsy and their aged father were thrown by the Nazis into a concentration camp. Corrie Ten Boom was known as a Christian. She said she was a Christian. But so did this man, Adolf Hitler, the leader of the Nazis. He was a baptised Catholic and as his propaganda poster there on the screen says, he believed that God was with his Nazi cause. This is Dr Martin Luther King. Dr. King was a Christian pastor in the United States and he led the freedom marches, particularly in the southern states of the United States, where at that time, black African-Americans were oppressed. Most of them couldn't vote and they were treated as second-class citizens in their own country. Dr. King and other Christian pastors put their lives on the line to seek to lift these oppressed people out of their oppression in the southern states. Dr. King obviously professed to be a Christian but so did this man George Wallace the governor of Alabama a member of the Methodist Church. George Wallace was a leader of the opposition to Dr. King and he believed that God was on the side of his cause. He believed that God was on the side of segregation and the effective supremacy of whites over blacks in the southern states. Jesus In John's Gospel, the Jesus who quotes the psalm that Chloe read for us a moment ago, Psalm 35, Jesus in John's Gospel talks about two different love centres that affect our lives. Our lives are either centred on one love or the other. Jesus says in John's Gospel, in John 15, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. You could be centred on the love of this world wanting and craving its love and letting that love shape your life. Or, Jesus says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Alternatively, you can be centred on God's love in Jesus and that will shape your life. This diagram, this picture from Dr John Wallow shows, our true relationship with God will not only shape the way we view ourselves, it really will shape the way we relate to others. The true nature of our relationship with God will be seen in our relationships with others. How does that work out for you in life? You know, as I reflect on my life, one of my life's big challenges has been getting the so-called work-life balance, the family-job balance worked out. And what I found in life as a follower of Jesus, that when I'm not thinking about God, when I'm just thinking about work and my family, I just can't get it right But when I come back to being centred on God in Jesus, I'm more likely to be able to work that out. How is it for you? Jesus says that there are these two possible centres for life. We're either centred on the world craving its love and our life being shaped by that, or we are centred on God's love in Jesus. Which love is your life centred on? Now Jesus, in John's Gospel, says that the religious leaders who would eventually arrest him, they would whip and persecute him and they would finally murder him. They would send him to the cross. He was saying that these religious men, as religious as they were, they were really centred on the love of the world, not the love of God. And that's what drove their action towards Jesus. And speaking of them, he quotes our psalm, Psalm 35, when he says, they hated me without reason. Jesus is saying, the religious leaders, as they plot to kill him, this is an expression of the fact that though they are very religious, they do not know God. In fact, he says it explicitly. In John chapter 15, verse 22, he says, whoever hates me hates my father as well. Their hatred for Jesus is an expression of the fact that they hate God. They do not know God, even though they are religious. So why then does Jesus quote Psalm 35 as he confronts this reality of what will soon happen to him at the cross? Well, Jesus sees in the story of this psalm a prefiguring, or foreshadowing of the way the religious leaders of Israel would treat him. Let me tell you the story of the psalm. Let me paint the picture for you. The scene is a scene at the temple in Jerusalem. The king of Israel, hundreds of years before Jesus, is there dressed for battle with his sword and his armour on and his soldiers are gathered there with him. Why are they gathered, dressed for battle at the temple in Jerusalem? They are dressed because on the borders of Israel has gathered a great army and this army is poised to invade the land seeking to sweep away the king and his people. So the king of Israel cries out in prayer to God, Contend, Lord, he says, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take up shield and armor. Arise and come to my aid, he cries out to God. But this king who is poised at the borders of Israel, ready to invade, is not just any old king. He is a king who once had a close friendship and partnership and alliance with the king of Israel. The friendship was so close that when that king was ill, the king of Israel had prayed to God for him as one would pray for a close relative. He says in the psalm, yet when they were ill, I went about mourning as though for my friend or my brother. And now this one for whom whom he had treated as a friend or brother is poised at the borders of Israel, ready to invade and sweep the king from power and demolish his land and people. And so the king of Israel cries out to God with his soldiers by his side, rescue me from their ravages, my precious life from these lions. What makes it even worse, more galling for the king of Israel is as this foreign king tears up the peace treaty with the king of Israel, he is spreading lies. He is justifying his actions by saying that it was the king of Israel who broke the peace treaty. He spreads these rumours, as expressed in the king's prayer. They sneer at me and say, Aha, aha, we've seen it with our own eyes. They're making up stories, justifying their actions. We are tearing up the peace treaty because the king of Israel tore it up first. They spread lies about him. And so the king of Israel looks up to God here at the temple and cries out to God and says, Lord, you have seen this. Do not be silent he can rise to my defence, he pleads to God in his hour of distress. Do not let those gloat over me who are my enemies without cause. They devise false accusations against those who live quietly in the land. See, this is the story of Psalm 35. One king poised at the border. He has torn up the peace treaty with the king of Israel. He has no thought for God and therefore he feels entirely justified to tell lies and to plot against the king of Israel and destroy him. But this king of Israel trusts in God. So he comes to the temple with his soldiers and he looks to God and he asks God to deliver him in the hour of his need. See, the psalm, Psalm 35, pictures what Jesus will take up in John's gospel. The true nature of a person's relationship with God will not only change their view of themselves, it will in fact The true nature of that relationship, whether they see themselves as religious or not, will actually change the nature of their relationships with others. And this king, in Psalm 35, trusts in God. As he says in verses 23 and 24, he cries out to God, Awake and rise to my defence. Contend for me, my God and Lord. Vindicate me in your righteousness, Lord my God. Do not let them gloat over me. And so Jesus as he foresees what the leaders of Israel will soon do to him, how he will be arrested and mistreated and finally murdered and killed, nailed to a cross. He sees in the action of Psalm 35 a foreshadowing of what the leaders of Israel will do to him. And so he quotes this ancient king. and He says, they hated me without reason. The leaders of Israel, though they are very religious because they do not know God, They do not recognise who Jesus is and they hate him and they finally crucify him. If you've been watching the news or getting it on the internet over the last week or so, you would have noticed that David Bowie passed away two days after his 69th birthday. And this weekend, uh, the last album that he released is uh, topping the charts all around the world. And one of the things he did Uh, in the last weeks of his life was to produce a video for a single that also comes from that album called Lazarus. There in the video is Bowie uh, on a hospital bed with bandages around his face, his eyes blacked out. He's dressed as Lazarus, the one whom Jesus raises from the dead in John's gospel. And fans are saying around the world that they think Bowie did this because he knew he was dying, and he uses the Lazarus story from John's Gospel as a kind of farewell message to his friends around the world. You know the Lazarus story in John's Gospel? where Lazarus, the friend of Jesus, has been dead in the tomb for a number of days, and Jesus calls for the stone to be rolled away. The stench of death comes out, but then Jesus says, Lazarus, come out, and Lazarus actually comes out alive. This mighty display of God's power, many of the Jewish people who are present begin to put their faith, their trust in Jesus at the sign of this great power of God at work through Jesus. But how do the Jewish leaders respond to the news of what's happened to Lazarus, of what Jesus has done? And all these people putting their faith in Jesus. Well, they call a meeting and this is what they say to each other. "What What are we accomplishing, they say. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. You Notice their key words are our temple and our nation. There's no thought for God, really. They're very religious, but it's about them and their temple and their nation and their project. They have no real thought for God. And so Caiaphas, the high priest that year, says, you know nothing at all. You do not realise that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. They act in fulfilment of the words of Jesus as he quotes Psalm 35. They hate him and they kill him because even though they're very religious, they do not really know God. But God has the last word. God shows them to be in the wrong and Jesus to be in the right because he vindicates Jesus by raising him from the dead that Jesus is saying, of course, that the words of Psalm 35 are fulfilled by him, by Jesus. But in speaking about that, he also speaks a word to his disciples, a word that also applies to you and me today. He says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. He's saying, if you really want to be my follower, be aware that just as I was hated in this way, you might too be hated in this way one day as well. Now notice this. The implication of Jesus' words is, who might be persecuted? Very rarely, very rarely in this world is somebody persecuted for simply stating, for simply saying that they're a Christian. People are persecuted when their lives are actually reshaped by Jesus in such a way that it begins to impact their relationships and impact the world around them. As we saw last week from Psalm 82, when we as Christians, as Psalm 82 calls us to do, stand with Jesus and lift up the poor and the oppressed. And that begins to impact our world. See, like it happened for Dr. Martin Luther King and the other Christian pastors who sought to lift up the poor and the oppressed, particularly the black people, the African-American people in the southern states of America, they weren't persecuted for saying they were Christians for their, uh, their persecutors said they were Christians themselves. No, they were persecuted because they stood with the poor and the oppressed and tried to lift them up. Their lives were really reshaped by Jesus. They were living as real followers of Jesus. And so the others saw this action as a threat to their power And so, for that reason, they persecuted Dr. King and other Christian pastors, and they murdered even some of them. If you were hearing the news this morning, you might have heard that two Australian Christian medical missionaries, Ken and Jocelyn Elliott, have been kidnapped in Burkina Faso. For 40 years, they've ministered in a very remote part of Burkina Faso. They, built with their own hands, built a medical hospital. And something like... Ken has done something like 150 operations per week because it's the only hospital in the area. And he said the reason he's done it is to show the love of God, the love of Jesus in a practical way to the people of that area. But now terrorists aligned with Al-Qaeda have come and kidnapped them and taken them away in the bush somewhere. See, friends... Jesus teaches us that our lives in this world will be shaped by one love or the other. We'll be either shaped by the love of this world, craving its love, or we really will be shaped by Jesus and his love. Which is your life shaped by? What's shown in your relationships with others? What kind of relationship with God do you have? Is your life centred on the love of this world and shaped by that? Or is your life centred on the love of Jesus? Is your life shaped by his love? Corrie Ten Boom, who we met earlier in this talk, when World War II came to an end, Corrie was released from the Ravensbrook concentration camp. But her sister Betsy and her dad were not released because they were buried in graves. They died there in the concentration camp. Corrie tells the story of after the war, going to the German city of Munich to a church service. And she tells the story how at the end of the church service, after she had spoken, the building was emptying. And she saw this man coming towards her. His face was beaming and his arms were held out. his arm was held out to her. And then immediately it hit her who this man was. It was the first SS Nazi guard from the Ravensbrook concentration camp that she had met since the war had ended. And she said, as I saw this man, I recognised him. He was the guard who had stood outside the washroom. He was the one amongst those who had mocked us, who had mocked his sister. And she could remember the pained look on her sister Betsy's face. And she said, the hatred welled up within her, the anger towards this man. And he came towards her and he said to her, Isn't it wonderful what she said is true, that I, even I, am forgiven because of Jesus. And as he held out his hand to her, she said, I couldn't lift my hand to him. I couldn't. And she said silently in her heart, she prayed to God and said, God, help me to forgive. I, the one who has told others so often to forgive, help me to forgive this man. And then she said something quite miraculous happened. Her hand did lift and she did take a hold of the man's hand. And she said at that point she realised the healing of this world, she said, does not hinge on our forgiveness just as it doesn't hinge on our goodness. It hinges on Jesus' forgiveness. And she said these words. When Jesus tells us to love our enemies, he gives along with the command, the love itself. For this is how Jesus... The one who fulfills Psalm 35 is actually different to the king in Psalm 35. For the king in Psalm 35, yes, he cries out in faith to God and asks God to deliver him from the enemy who's about to pour in on the land. And he asks God that God would strike down his enemy. But Jesus is struck down by his enemies, struck down for us, so that that forgiveness that reshaped Corrie ten Boom's life might reshape our lives. For friends, what Jesus says really is true, whether we're outwardly religious or not. The true nature of our relationship with God will not only change our view of ourselves, it really will change the shape of our relationships with others. I shared with you earlier the example from my own experience of trying to get this family job, this work-life balance thing happening and realising that i never get it right. Well, I'm just focusing on that because that's just about me and others. But when I focus on God and Jesus and his love, that's when I begin to get it right. How will focusing on God's love in Jesus reshape your life and your world, your family, your work or your uni or your school, your friendships? See, how will realizing that you shouldn't be shaped by the love of the world and craving its its love but instead being shaped by the love of God in Jesus how will that reshape your family how can you love your family without worshipping it if you're working how how can you be a good boss or a good employee without without it being your workplace being your ultimate master how can you appreciate friendships without the fear of losing those friendships, somehow dominating your life? How can the love of God in Jesus Christ reshape your world? For Jesus says there are only two possible centres, and they're love centres, either the love of this world craving it or knowing the love of God in Jesus Christ, the love displayed at the cross. And the good news is that not only can that love reshape our lives in amazing ways, like Corrie ten Boom reports, the love of God even enabling her to love her enemy, that guard from Ravensburg Concentration Camp. Or the love of God, doubtless, that, that Ken and Jocelyn Elliott tonight, somehow, somewhere captive in the bush in Africa, taken away by Al-Qaeda-affiliated terrorists. I'm sure those Christian people will be seeking to show the love of God to those terrorists in some way. Not only can the love of God in Jesus reshape our lives in those amazing ways, it can also reshape your life in the everyday, in your family, in your workplace, your uni, your school, in your friendships. Friends, which love is your life centred on? The love of this world, craving that, or the love of God, the amazing love of God in Jesus? Ponder that. Think about that, even pray about that as we sing in a moment. Our closing song. In the midst of the darkest night, Jesus, let your love be the shining light. Breaking chains that were holding me, you sent your son down, God, to set me free. Which love center is the center of your life and world? Would you join with me as we pray? Let's pray to God. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus who fulfills the words of Psalm 35. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you were struck down by your enemies for us to bring us forgiveness. I pray that you would help us in our lives, whether it's in ordinary ways or extraordinary ways. Help us, we pray, to have lives that are not centred on craving the love of this world, but to embrace and accept your amazing love at the cross, this incredible love of yours, knowing that the change in our lives in this world does not hinge on our forgiveness or our goodness, but Lord Jesus, on your amazing forgiveness. We ask that that love would reshape our lives, our families, our friendships, our workplaces, where we are at uni, wherever we are. Help us, we pray, to be shaped by that love. We pray this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.